And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes. Red rope hair, gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs. You're my candy. Welcome everybody to Podcast 65 and to the beautiful month of November. Why is it beautiful, you ask? Well because that means we only have one more month until 2020 is over. And that's about all I can say about that. Uncle Frank, what's on the show tonight? Since July 15th was National Ice Cream Day, we have a collection of ice cream truck melodies and a discussion of our eight favorite ice cream parlors from around the country. Then we have a clip from an interview with some good old-fashioned 1960s nudists. Then novelty songs, vintage commercials, and more stuff. Topped off with a sinister episode from The Price of Fear. Well, that just sounds splendid, Uncle Frank. Let's get started. Mit 14 Jahren fing er als Schiffsjunge an. Er war der Jüngste, aber er war schon ein Mann. Ein Mann wie ein Baum und stark wie ein Bär. So fuhr er das erste Mal übers Meer. She is Mary Ann. Und war sein Schiff, er hielt die Treue, was keiner begriff. Es gab so viele Schiffe, so schön und groß. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Als Seemann hatte er seine 18 Karat. Und nach der dritten Reise, da war er schon matt. Und jeder Kapitän war hinter ihm her. Doch fiel ihm das Wechseln so furchtbar schwer. Sie ist Mary Ann. Und war sein Schiff, er hielt die Treue, was keiner begriff. Es gab so viele Schiffe, so schön und groß. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Und als er eines Tages erster Steuermann war, da liebte er ein Mädchen mit strohblondem Haar. Er gab es ein Herz, doch sie war nicht treu. So fuhr er bald wieder zur See. Ahoy, sie hieß Mary Ann. Und war sein Schiff, er hielt die Treue, was keiner begriff. Es gab so viele Schiffe, so schön und groß. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Die Mary Ann aber ließ sie nicht los. Nach jeder Reise schwur er, jetzt musste ich ab. Er schwur als Kapitän, doch sie wurde sein Grab. Die Mary Ann sank am 19. Mai bei einem Orkan vor der Hudson bei. Sie hieß Mary Ann. Und war sein Schiff, er hielt die Treue, was keiner begriff. Es gab so viele Schiffe, so schön und groß. 
Die Mary Ann, aber ließ sie nicht los. Die Mary Ann, aber ließ sie nicht los. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States police force has everything under control, they think. I'm going in. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. And if he comes back alone, his nightmare has just begun. Who are you? John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Heard you were dead. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all, is about to blow the future apart. WGN Radio presents Virginia Gale's Portfolio. And welcome to today's portfolio. If I met our guests of today in a store as shoppers, I would perhaps note they're nice-looking people, but there was nothing unusual about them. Our lady guest is wearing a floral print dress, and she has a, a tweed coat over the back of her chair. The gentleman is wearing, I'd say that's a gunmetal gray suit and a blue tie. Uh, they're both quite tan. One thing special might be that he's celebrating his birthday today. And if you get to know them fairly well, without hesitation, they would tell you in conversation that they're nudists. And once you get over the first surprise about this, you'd find they talk matter-of-factly and fluently about nudism as a way of life. And their nudist camp, where they and their children and grandchildren and many other families bask in the sun together. Nudist camps are legal. Now... Most of us would never consider joining, but we're curious about the many families who find this an enjoyable and a healthy way of life. And I asked our guests if they would come and talk with us to know what nudist camps are all about. And for those of you who might not accept the subject, uh, we do this in the spirit of adventure to know as much as we can about all people, and I hope in all good taste. We'll meet our guests, Mr. and Mrs. Harvey Schmidt, after this news, an announcement brought to you by SNH Green Stamps. Alerting thrifty Chicagoland shoppers. Alerting Chicagoland shoppers. Alerting you to double savings at national food stores. You save once on low, low prices, and you save again with S&H Green Stamps. Come on over and save. Two ways. Come on over and save. Two ways. One. Save cash on our low, low prices. Two. Save S&H Green Stamps. Come on over and save. Two ways. Today and save. Yes, come on over to National Food Stores and see for yourself how low our prices are. 
Low prices this week, next week, and every week. What's more, you get the extra plus of S&H Green Stamps, America's most reliable, most valuable stamps. So thrifty Chicagoland shoppers get both low, low prices and S&H Green Stamps at national food stores. Not too long ago, I was sitting down in the cafeteria uh, having a cup of coffee, waiting for two people to come in to be our guest today. And I, my mind was kind of going over the subject matter, and I was wondering... Goodness sakes, I've, I've never met nudists before. <laughs> I was wondering what a nudist looks like. You know, I, I kept thinking, well, gee whiz, are they uh, people with two heads or <laughs> five arms? What makes them so entirely different that they have a, a philosophy that's so unlike what we have in our general society? And in walked Irene and Harvey Schmidt, and they're two lovely, ordinary people, and I'm, I've been very pleased to meet them, and sit down and talk with them about nudism. And at first, uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to be crimson red all the way through our discussion. <laughs> but it's turned out to be a very interesting subject and uh, one that they take in such commonplace stride that my embarrassment has completely left me. Now, why, why, would, why would I be embarrassed with the subject anyway? I guess it's unconventional. Would you say that, Harvey? No, I wouldn't say it was unconventional because uh, what might be unconventional to you is definitely not unconventional to me. This is as commonplace as anything you can imagine. Mm-hmm. How did you happen to become a nudist? Well, that's quite a story that's a long time ago. Uh, you see, my brother-in-law, who's married to my sister, saw some pictures of a nudist camp, and he wanted to see it. And he asked my sister to go with him, and she says, absolutely not. <laughs> not me. <laughs> so they had a little spat, and uh, he went himself. And uh, spent the day there. And come back telling the most glorious stories of such healthy, happy people. And he still tried to get her to go, and she says, well, only if you can get another couple, another woman, to go along. She says, I'm not going to go with you just like that. And they went to all their friends all summer long, and they couldn't find anybody that wanted to go to a nudist camp. As a last resort, they came to us. And uh, we said, yeah, we'd go. What did you think about it, Irene, when you were asked to go the first time? Well, I, I was a little scared, but uh, I'm the kind of person that likes to try things out. Uh, I mean, I'm a, it was something different, and I have an open mind to begin with. And I was curious myself to see what the place was like. Uh-huh. What was your reaction? Did you have a did you have a weekend there or a day or uh, a reaction? My my sister in law and I well, we were in the back. We came, as we drove in, the people were playing volleyball in nude. And I took a look at them and I started to laugh. That was my reaction. <laughs> I might have been nervous or something. And after I was there for a while we calmed down, took a walk down to the lake and it was, was cold, it was in October, and people were sunbathing there. And I said, how could they? And there didn't seem to bother them. And, we and then we came back ourselves and played volleyball and ping pong and went to the clubhouse there, and we had our lunch there. You disrobed and joined them? No, no? not the first time. You mm. were a visitor at this Just time? Just a visitor. A fully garbed visitor. This was in about October. And then mm -hmm. Harvey thought about it all winter. And uh, in the spring, he said, we're going to go back. I liked the outdoor life. I, I liked the place. There was something about it. It, it was nice. And then we went back, and we joined mm -hmm. the following spring. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that and was you've 15 been years ago. 15 years ago. And you've been members ever since. Members ever since. <laughs> when, when, well, let me... Uh, yes. Uh, Irene was saying that... Uh, well, when you asked her... Uh, her reaction. No. Uh, no. We were clothed... When you mentioned we were clothed yes, visitors... Yes, yes. Uh, I'd like to explain that uh, in the cold weather, people do not go without clothes on. They are dressed just like anyone else is and only take off their clothes when it's more comfortable to be unclothed. And that would be in the warm weather. Warm weather or in brilliant sunshine in the cold weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find, as we have, if you'd experience it, that as long as there's no wind and the sun is warm, the temperature could be quite cold, let's say 10, 20 degrees, and you would be warm without clothing. In the sunlight. In the yes. sun. Bathed by the sun. Yes. yes. Uh, it was, uh, uh, the principle is similar to what they call radiant heat. Mm-hmm. There have been times that we have gone to camp in the middle of winter when there was no snow on the ground, and we'd spread a blanket, we'd be all bundled up, overcoats and sweaters and mufflers, lie down in a blanket, and pretty soon we'd be getting warm, and before you know it, we'd be nude, sunbathing, getting a tan in January. In January? And we'd be perspiring, and the temperature would be perhaps 20 degrees. We were out of the wind. Mm. In a secluded place where there is no wind. Now, you have a fabulous story that's uh, building and growing as the time goes on now. Two years ago, you started your own nudist ca uh, camp, right? Right. And uh, this is the Ponderosa, and it's in Indiana. That's right. And what did you do? Did you, did you go looking for a, a piece of land and uh, decided you were going to establish another camp? Yes. After being members in this other camp for many years, and our children grew up there, growing up there, we uh, decided that... Uh, well, I have to give you a little background. You see, I have been a leader on the executive board of our one of our national organizations, and I was in a position of leadership in this camp. And we have I, had ideas that we thought we could put into practice and perhaps do it better than the old-timers had done. Oh, I see. So you're and, sort of pioneering in your own mm -hmm. fashion. Yes. Now, most of the other camps started out many years ago, and they were originally little more than clearings in the woods and gradually built up. Uh, the old-time leaders spent many years educating the public to the legality and the goodness of nudism. They had little time to devote to their own camps. Mm -hmm. Now, nudism is completely legal and becoming more and more acceptable to the general public right along, we can devote ourselves to, to creating uh, a modern, up-to-date resort and not have to worry about fighting legal battles. Then basically, the, the Ponderosa is going to be a resort. Definitely. Where, when you wish to exercise sunbathing, nudism is it. But the rest of the time, you have a regular garb as anybody else would wear at a, at a sport resort. That's right. Uh -huh. uh, we find uh, that uh, uh, when new people come, especially a man, man and his wife, 
the woman would be very shy. As a rule, I talk to her, and uh, and we make them feel at ease so that they mm-hmm. introduce them to the people. And usually by the time they leave, they decide to become <laughs> members. I mean, they... So the husband drags in the wife, huh? Yeah, but then the, the woman is a little shy. Well, then once the woman is in, does she take to it? Not... Uh, some do immediately, and some take longer. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it's, it's really a family affair, isn't it? Yes. We'll talk about the family in the nudist colony after this message. Man, you never would believe where those Keebler cookies come from. They're big by little guys in a hollow tree. And what do you think makes those cookies uncommon? They're baked in magic ovens and there's no factory. Hey! And now, In the Mood, with lead on a squeaky red balloon. What a wealth of health values are hidden in ice cream, America's favorite dairy food. And this bountiful hidden treasure is yours to enjoy fully. Here are just a few of the millions throughout America who enjoy ice cream. Perhaps they, like many of us, know little about ice cream making. And perhaps they know less about the food values it contains. But they do know its tops in taste and enjoyment. Many of us eat and enjoy ice cream every day. But few know the complete story of ice cream. A story that is extremely important to all of us today. Today, more than ever. Any season uh, goes with ice cream. Throughout much of the world, actually, I think by 2022, the global ice cream market is supposed to reach 89 billion. And it's got growing numbers in all types of countries, China, Brazil, India, and it's not just the hot countries. Finland enjoys 14.2 liters of a year per capita, and Sweden loves 12 liters a year. But none of these countries holds a candle to the champion. And no, it's not America. It's New Zealand. New Zealanders eat 28.4 liters of ice cream a year. God bless them. Americans eat 20.8 liters each year. But, of course, we have more people. So Americans as a whole eat 6,826,560,000 liters a year. That's a love affair. Tonight, Jimmy Sweets and I are going to talk about our own personal love affairs. Not just the ice cream, but with the places that divvy up the stuff. Ice cream parlors. We have our favorites, and we're going to wade in right now with our eight favorite ice cream shops from around the country. And I'm going to start it out with number eight. And this is the original Ghirardelli Ice Cream and Chocolate Shop. Uh, it's a fantastic place. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Um, lots of nostalgia tied to it for me. I first went there in 1975 when I went to my Uncle Sal and Aunt Linda's wedding. And as part of the touring around uh, during that time, we went to Ghirardelli Square. It's right there near Fisherman's Wharf. It's up the hill a little bit, overlooking San Francisco Bay. It's all these wonderful brick structures. Uh, has a clock tower and this wonderful grid work with Ghirardelli and lights up above. And it has a chocolate factory in there. It's mostly for show, although they do produce their own um, chocolate that you can buy and get samples from. And But you can, it's made so you could look at it to see how the ice cream was done. I mean, the ice cream, the chocolate was done before. They have wheels, belts, looks like Willy Wonka place. Um, and they have a great chocolate shop, this wonderful chocolate shop, all sorts of chocolates and fancily wrapped, and then they have an ice cream parlor. And um, this is all in Ghirardelli Square. And Ghirardelli Square is a collection of brick buildings, and it was a, the original factory of uh, Domenico Ghirardelli, and he had it built there in 1893. It took a whole city block. And it was uh, the center point of his little chocolate empire. But in the 60s, the Ghirardelli family, uh, they sold it to some kind of macaroni company. And they moved the factory to San Lorendo. And they sold um, the um, structures that were there to this... Uh, I forget who bought it. But anyway, they turned it into a retail and restaurant complex. They took all the old buildings, they restored them, and had little shops in them. But part of this, they still had the Ghirardelli candy shop and a little factory where you can look at this awesome, and then the ice cream shop. And they, when I went there in 75, they had all these great Sundays like the Treasure Island, the Golden Gate, Land's End, Strike It Rich, and my favorite was the Earthquake. And it was a pile of nine scoops of ice cream with whipped cream nuts and cherries. It was fantastic. Um, now the menu has become more limited, but it's still great. It's still a great place um, to be and eat and overlook the bay and that. Um, they've limited their ice cream. They used to have 14 flavors. Well, now they pretty much they have vanilla, chocolate, cookies and cream, and strawberry. And they still have shakes. They still have, they have some other weird stuff like uh, frozen hot chocolate. And they're down to three sundaes. They have their world famous Sunday, which is a regular Sunday. And then they have the Ocean Beach, which is like a caramel crunch. And they have the Gold Rush. And I think you can still order the Earthquake on special requests. <laughs> but it's still a fabulous place. It's a fun place to go see. And they really have good ice cream too. So, and don't forget the chocolate. So James, what's your next favorite one? So the seventh ice cream shop on our list has a funny story attached to it. I was working down in Los Angeles and um, my family and I were supposed to go to Disneyland and I had somebody drop me off at the hotel that we'd be staying at in Garden Grove and uh, uh, my family was going to meet me up there that night and I, I didn't have a car or anything so I decided to take a walk and... Uh, you know, try to get something to eat. And there was a sign up on a little strip mall down from my hotel, and it said, Sweet Rolled Tacos. And I said, I could I could get some tacos. That sounds good. And uh, 
Lo and behold, sweet rolled tacos were hand rolled ice cream tacos. And uh, that's what the place is called. It's called Sweet Roll Tacos, and it's in Garden Grove. And what they do is they have, uh, you know, it's a you have your traditional waffle cone or ice cream cone, but it's in the shape of a taco. And then they do that rolled ice cream where they they have a very cold disc that they pour the cream and the mixture of whatever you're going to have in your in your taco, and they start. Uh, scraping it back and forth and mixing it up and slowly scraping it off, scraping it, scraping it and making it flat. And then it makes f- basically a thin layer of ice cream and they scrape it with a big scraper and it rolls up into what would, you know, be like a, a roll, like a burrito almost. And they fit that into this taco ice cream cone. And so I just thought that was, uh, you know, <laughs> very interesting and, uh, you know, I had to have it, of course. And uh, lo and behold, it was delicious. And they have like all kinds of different uh, different types of, of these hand-rolled ice cream tacos. They have uh, a Captain Crunch ice cream. They have, uh, you know, it's a Viet- Vietnamese place. So they have black sesame ice cream, uh, s'mores galore, Vietnamese coffee ice cream. They have strawberry shortcake, mint Oreo, uh, uh, Grammy's ice cream, a Rainbow Road ice cream, all kinds of stuff, and uh, all different colors. They have the the cones or the taco shells, if you will, come in different colors. And um, I had the strawberry shortcake, uh, or the strawberry cheesecake rather, and it was in a blue taco shell with the strawberry colored ice cream in a big roll, and it had strawberry. Uh, uh, um, you know, graham ca- cracker crust spread up on it and, and whipped cream and, and, uh, uh, straws that you could eat coming out of the top of it. Uh, it looked, and it, it was, uh, quite the presentation, but I mean, it was delicious. And, um, I had never seen anything that, uh, like that before. And it was quite unique. And, uh, I was pleasantly surprised and that I didn't get regular tacos. I got some ice cream tacos. So, the Sweet Rolled Tacos um, is in Garden Grove. Uh, I would definitely recommend, and that's our number seven. The courtroom will please rise. The Supreme Court of Burgers, Fries, and Other Fast Foods is again in session. People of Anchorage judge. The case, Grizzly Burger versus Ronald McDonald. Be seated. Mr. District Attorney, the second witness is yours. Thank you, Your Honor. State your name and age, please. Bobby Carlson, eight years old. Bobby, are you aware that the four ounces of fish in the Grizzly Burger fish sandwich is twice the portion of the two ounces in the McDonald's fish sandwich? No objection. Oh. He's leading the witness. Your Honor, we'll provide the evidence for Grizzly if you'll <clears throat> bear with us. Objection overruled. Huh. This isn't the way they treat me in Chicago. You're not in Chicago now, Ronald McDonald. Go ahead, Bobby. Well, there's more golden brown flaky fish in a grizzly burger fish sandwich. Objection! Discrimination against out-of-town clowns. Ronald, sit down. Well, that's the whole fish story, Your Honor. Grizzly burger, four ounces to two. Further evidence is available at McDonald's and Grizzly Burger locations. People of Anchorage, you be the judge.
As the chief ingredients used in ice cream making are milk and cream, let's start the story right at the farm. Throughout the length and breadth of America are thousands of modern dairy farms, farms with healthy, well-kept cows. From cows such as these comes the milk used in making ice cream. Of course, all the milk isn't used for ice cream. Her family comes first. The health of each cow is checked regularly by a veterinarian. In milk production, cleanliness is the watchword. Clean hands and clean utensils are essential. And the cow must also be kept clean. The flank and udder are carefully wiped before the milking machine is attached. We've mentioned ice cream and sherbet, which are different from each other somewhat. But they're also, as everyone knows, many different frozen desserts. They're not quite ice cream. And in the interest of clarity, before I go on with my next favorite shop, I'm going to take a short moment and uh, to differentiate between these different desserts. So we start with ice cream, and ice cream is ice cream. It's made from cream or cream and milk and sugar, which is sometimes simmered and sometimes not. And sometimes they add egg whites and then simmer it. Um, but then the mixture is usually mixed in some kind of ice cream machine, like the old hand crank ice cream things, you know, to mix it up. And while it's getting cold and the paddles are mixing it, the ice cream is gaining air. Now, how much air is determined by how fast it's churned and for how long? If there's no air in the ice cream, it's going to be like a block of ice. <laughs> it's not creamy. It's just like a popsicle. The air actually adds volume to the ice cream, too. The percentage of volume that the air adds is called the overrun. That's the overrun, but only in the ice cream business. And for example, if you mix up one quart of the ice cream mix, you know, the the thing you start with, the liquid, um, and then when you get it out, when you take it out, it's actually one and a half quarts. Well, they call the extra amount that the air put in as the overrun. And in this case, going from one quart to one and a half quarts, it's got an overrun of 50%. Now, all right, I know this is already more than you want to know, but... The air is important. More air, more fluffy the ice cream. Less air, the denser and creamier it tastes. But no air, it's a frozen block. So there's a little dance going on there. A lot of commercial ice cream is over 100% overrun. But Haagen-Dazs is 31. And our next frozen dessert, Gelato, has 20 to 25% overrun. So they don't mix much air at all into it. And that's one of the things that makes it Gelato. It's very dense, not much air, but also has less fat. Often it's just made with milk, and it's served slightly warmer than ice cream. Now, supposedly, there's less fat, and that less fat coats your tongue, and there's less cold, and so it doesn't numb you as much, and it allows the gelato to have a stronger flavor. Now, also the natural ingredients and the added sugar, uh, that doesn't hurt either. I found myself that the fruit flavors are fantastic in gelato. But when it comes to chocolate and vanilla, I think regular ice cream is better. I think you need that extra fat uh, to make the chocolate and vanilla good. But, you know, that's just me. Sherbet also has less fat. It's less than 2% um, fat, but can have lots of air. It could be fluffy as you want it. And then it's mainly juice or juice, fruit juice and water. Um, sorbet, which is the uh, oldest of the common frozen desserts, is made with no dairy or egg, just sugar and fruit juice or fruit puree um, and water. 
Now you get too much sugar and it'll be too slushy. You get too little sugar and it'll be too icy. So you need that balance somewhere between. Um, so it's enough to be like the sorbet and, and not something else. So anyway, uh, we're done with that. Enough of that. And we're on to number six. Um, oh, by the way, there's also soft serve and frozen yogurt. But we're not going into that. So now my number six favorite ice cream parlor. This ice cream parlor also makes its own ice cream, just like the others, but it's the way it makes its ice cream that's the interesting part. The place is called Frozen Cow, Frozen Cow Creamery, and you can find it in the little town of Kennesaw, Georgia. It's just north of Atlanta. My friend and I ran across it because we were looking for this railroad museum, and it's right near the museum. In this beautiful old house, looks like 1920s, and it was converted into this ice cream parlor. And they make the ice cream right in front of you using liquid nitrogen. Now, to a lot of you, this is old hat, I guess. I'm sure you've heard about it, but I never did. It was revolutionary to me. I should have known there was something different because as we were, we parked around the back of the house and as we walked around in the backyard, there was these huge tanks and it said liquid nitrogen on it. It had little steam stuff coming off it. It was like 12 foot high. Anyway, you enter through the front of the house, and if there's a line, you meander through the house, throughout the living room and the sitting room and all these things, and they give you the menu so you can look at the, what you want while you're waiting in line. And they have 22 flavors. There's like sweet cream and cheesecake, rum orange, dulce de leche, um, and the standards, of course, like chocolate, vanilla, cherry. And then they have what they call the throw-ins, the toss-ins, and that could be peaches, pieces of fruit, you know, the chocolate bits, the pineapple. And then they have their premium toss-ins. And you can have like green tea or a real piece of cheesecake. <laughs> so, and there's sweets and nuts and crumbles and other stuff. So what they do is they get all these ingredients with the cream and the sugar and that. And they put it in these metal bowls and they start mixing it. And then they will hit the bottom of the bowl with the liquid nitrogen like psh, psh, and they keep mixing it and keep mixing it. and if it gets a little tool and gets like ice crystals they'll put a little hot water on it and they'll take it back and they'll do it back and forth like too cold no back to normal too and they'll keep mixing it and then right before your eyes in about five minutes there you go you got ice cream <laughs> and i had the cheesecake ice cream with real cheesecake thrown in and it was heaven it really tasted great and all their stuff is great it's all wonderful good creamy ice cream so like all the rest we talk about if you get near kennesaw go to the frozen crowd creamery uh, and do yourself a favor now james what's number five number five on the list is idlewild ice cream and jerky and that's in idlewild california which is in the san jacinto mountain ranges uh in between the little town of hemet off the 74 and uh, if you go over that mountain, you'll get to Palm Springs, believe it or not. And up in those mountains is that store, Idlewild Ice Cream and Jerky. And they have homemade ice cream there, and they have candy and all sorts of uh, fun things for you to eat. And they have a little bit of history of the mountain. Uh, Idlewild is in basically a pine forest, and it's about 6,500 uh, feet above sea level. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful location. There's uh, places to mountain climb and places to hike. And uh, you can vacation rental there. 
and um, it's just a fun little town, and they have a, a little town center that has a bunch of little shops, and they sell uh, curios, and they have a sporting goods store, a cigar place, in fact. Um, they have a couple of diners, the Red Kettle, and uh, a little clothing store up there. But my favorite place, of course, as I've mentioned several times, is this Idlewild Ice Cream and Jerky. And one of the fun things and my favorite thing to get is an old-fashioned ice cream bar, which is, you know, on on the stick. And then they dip it in chocolate, and they cover it with nuts. And the nuts are, uh, you know, uh, uh, all natural. And, and um, the ice cream they make there themselves. And it is just fantastic. And it's a fun thing because most people think of ice cream you know, as the old ice cream cone and um, and uh, and the like. But one of the funnest things I used to do when I was a kid, right, was, was go to the fair and uh, they had these ice cream bars that you could get dipped in chocolate and nuts. And I always liked that. And, and I worked uh, in the area and would go up actually every Tuesday um, to do my runs up in Idlewild. And, and I would never... I never missed a chance to go into that, and I would get the same thing every time, which was to be the vanilla ice cream bar dipped in dark chocolate and uh, with with those almonds on it. And I just love that place. And if, if uh, you're ever up there, be sure and hit that. Idlewild Ice Cream and Jerky, number five on our list.
Thrifty Ice Cream. We've been making it for over 35 years. Remember that great taste and quality? For over 30 consecutive years, we've won gold medals at state or county fairs. You can take home flavors like pecan praline, mocha almond fudge, coconut pineapple, butter almond toffee, black cherry, pistachio cashew. Take it, sampled and tested for the purity and quality. And from now on, tests are made at each step in the processing to assure you're getting ice cream that is uniform in flavor and quality. Following the testing, the cream is separated from the milk. Milk, solids, and sugar are then added to the cream, and the mixture is pasteurized for your protection. The mixture then goes to the homogenizer. Here, the butterfat globules are broken into minute particles. This aids in the development of a smooth, uniform texture. Next, the mixture is cooled, cascading over these refrigerated cooling coils. The thick golden cream mixture is cooled to about 35 degrees Fahrenheit by the time it reaches the bottom. Before I go on to number four, my number four my favorite ice cream parlor, I want to tell you this little trick that I found out. And I, I did this yesterday. I wanted some quick ice cream. So <clears throat> here's the technique I used. It's with two bags, two Ziploc bags. You have a smaller one and then a big one. And in the small one, you put the ice cream mixture. I did two and a half cups of half and half cream, and I put a half a cup of sugar and I put a little vanilla extract in it. And then I ziplocked it up. And they had a bunch of ice in the bigger bag with salt. I added, um, it's better if you get the rock salt, but I guess any salt will work. You, it will, you put some ice in the bottom, and then you put some salt, and you put some more ice around it, and, some, and then cover it with ice. I put salt all around this. Then I ziplocked, of course, I ziplocked the inner one with the mixture, and then the outer one I ziplocked cover this in a towel so it kind of insulates it and I shook it for five minutes and when I first read this stuff I thought I don't know if this is going to work but sure enough five minutes took it up opened it there was ice cream <laughs> and it's a little weird and stiff and stuff but oh it was good it was really good ice cream so 
there you have it. If you only got five minutes and you got all those things, you can use whole milk too. Don't have to be uh, that fancy. But anyway, here now we go on to number four. And this is the Island Creamery. And it's been around selling this good stuff in uh, Chinna... Um, I am going to mispronounce this, but it's Chincoteague Island, Virginia. And it's been there since 1975. And for the first 10 years, they just sold um, ice cream that they purchased from another company. But starting in 1985, they started making their own ice cream. And they specialize in small batches, really good, really rich ice cream. And it's all very delicious. And it's partly because they use the dairy from local and they use the fruit from local all around for their fruit flavored stuff. And they have 28 flavors that are year round, like Cherry's Jubilee, Cake Batter, Cotton Candy Party, <laughs> uh, Bourbon Caramel Crunch, uh, Black Raspberry, etc. And then they have seasonal ones, 39 seasonal ones that come around. They have Lemoncello, Red Velvet Cake, Pineapple Upside Down Cake, Mango Sorbet, really kind of awesome. And uh, they also have vegan and sugar-free stuff for people, if you must. Anyway, lately the Iron Creamery has moved up into being a tiny kind of a franchise. In 2017, they opened the Berlin Scoop in Berlin, Maryland. And then they opened the Salisbury Scoop in Salisbury, Maryland. So now you have three times the chance to have some great ice creams. Uh, they also sell the ice cream in pints and in um, half gallons. You don't have to just eat there and they have ice cream cakes they have eight and ten inch round cakes and one quarter sheet cakes and they they usually have like a, an oreo delight and a chocolate and a vanilla or in a peanut butter cup but you can um ask for uh specialized special made cakes special flavored you know whatever you like so anyway another place to visit james what's your next favorite one Number three on the list is McConnell's Ice Cream, and that was founded in 1949 in Santa Barbara, California. It was established by Gordon and Ernestine McConnell, and their idea, even back then, was to get away from all the processing and artificial flavors that started cropping up after World War II and get back to the basics. Well, since then, the business has changed hands three times, but all to families that believe in the all-natural way the original founders did business. Here are a few flavors on the menu just to let you know what you're getting yourself into when you go there. How do these sound? Churros con leche, brown sugar pecan pie, carrot cake and creamy frosting. Heck, I've even been there when they had iris whiskey. This is not your average ice cream shop. And the ice cream is delicious, creamy, and uh, quite frankly, to die for. Uh, so if you're ever in Santa Barbara or Ventura uh, in California, you definitely have to try McConnell's. It is a great ice cream shop. Here comes Mr. Softy, the soft ice cream man. The creamiest, creamiest soft ice cream you get from Mr. Softy. For refreshing delight to be, look for Mr. Softy. My milkshake and my sundaes and my cones are such a treat. Listen for my store on wheels, jingling down the street. The creamiest, creamiest soft ice cream you get from Mr. Softy. For refreshing delight to be, look for Mr. Softy. S-O-F-T-double-E. 
When Deanne had her eighth birthday party at Farrell's, <laughs> even the Beasley brothers had fun. <laughs> when Jake the Snake had his birthday at Farrell's, the whole group wanted to come. In fact, there's only one place so crazy, so totally wacko, that everybody has a party. Farrell's. Because whether you're six or 14 or right in between, you always have a party at Farrell's. America's favorite dairy food. Ice cream gives enjoyment with nourishment, pleasure with bodybuilding, and goodness with health protection. As a safe, healthful food product, ice cream supplies energy, vitamins, and minerals in a form attract most people. My favorite um, parlor is up in the dairy country of Central Valley, um, in a little town of Hanford, California. It's a nice town with a beautiful historic buildings and old parks and but the best part of Hanford is Superior Dairy where they've been making and serving ice cream and the same premises for over 90 years. The dairy came in my consciousness and my dreams from an episode of Hugh Hauser on California's Gold. Uh, he was touring the Hanford area and he made a stop at the ice cream shop and it looked great inside. It was like old 1929, hadn't been changed, beautiful old-fashioned stuff. But then I saw the ice cream. And more to the point, my dad saw the ice cream. And his eyes lit up and he kind of mumbled, we are going there. <laughs> and, and we did. What excited my dad was the size of a single scoop of ice cream. It was the size of a child's head. And that's no joke. Each scoop is about a carton of ice cream. And if you ask for an ice cream cone, they put that big glob of ice cream down in a bowl and shove a cone in the top of it. <laughs> and um, But when we finally visited the place, it wasn't just the size of the portions. The ice cream was really good. And well, the cream and the milk, it comes right there fresh from probably a mile away. There's dairies all around the place. And like I said, they make the ice cream right there in the shop. When you use the restroom, you go in the back room and you can see the huge tanks of dairy back there. And where they make the ice cream, though, is in a secret part uh, that's on the other side of that. But their ice cream tastes rich and dense and it's delicious, especially the sherbets, which have great fruit flavors. And it's really refreshing. And my favorite sundae is made of a bunch of sherbets. 
Um, Superior Dairy's normal Sundays are four scoops, but those four scoops are, you know, giant scoops. They're like seven normal size scoops. But the Sunday I like the best had seven of those giant scoops. And it's called the SOS, and they're not joking. You definitely have to eat with that with a group. The bottom starts with uh, vanilla ice cream and banana halves around it with a little bit of chocolate syrup around the outside. And then uh, comes a bunch of lemon sherbet ice cream. And that's followed by orange sherbet ice cream. And in between those two layers, it's a kind of strawberry freeze. And then on top of the whole thing is another bunch of vanilla ice cream. And then cherries and a little drink umbrella on the top. And so, <laughs> so ah, decadence, wonderful. At Superior Dairy, they also has milkshakes and floats and frosties and, and a lot of other stuff, of course. But they also sell food. Mostly sandwiches. They've got peanut butter, pastrami, tuna, you know, etc. And they have potato salad. And they've got pie. And their pie is really good, too. So it's a great place. And if you're anywhere near it, you should definitely give it a try. James, what's your next one? Well, Frank, the number one ice cream joint in uh, our list is actually two ice cream joints. And I'm going to explain. It is Big Olaf's and Scoop's homemade ice cream on Catalina Island. Now, if you don't know about Catalina, it is a sizable island off the coast of California, approximately 25 or 26 miles from the mainland. And it's truly a unique place. Avalon is its main town. Picture this, a crescent-shaped harbor with a boardwalk bordering the beach and wonderful curio shops and eateries lining the inland side. At night, there are beautiful lights that illuminate the walk as the smells of great food and the sea intertwine to create a mesmerizing and decadent atmosphere. But no smell on the island is more fragrant, none more remarkably potent than that of the homemade waffle cones that come from Big Olaf's. But here's the dilemma. Big Olaf sells regular ice cream that you could buy from the store, just dryers or something like that. Ah, but across the way, Scoops has homemade wonderful ice cream and not the great waffle cones that Olaf makes homemade. So what I do every time is I get a cone, Olaf's, and then I get ice cream from Scoops and I create what could only be told, and I can't state this enough, it is the greatest ice cream experience that I have ever had. So if you want something great, and you want something that is going to blow your mind, go to Catalina, and you have to do a little work. You go to two places. You get the waffle cone from Big Olaf's, and you get any kind of ice cream. Whatever they have is wonderful. They have all your regular flavors, and uh, you get those two, you put them together, and that, my friends, is the greatest ice cream you will ever have. My mama 
said if I'd be good, she'd send me to the store. She said she'd bake some gingerbread if I would sweep the floor. She said if I would make the bed and watch the telephone, that she would send me out to get a chocolate ice cream cone. And so I did the thing she said. And then she made some gingerbread. And I went out, just me alone, and got my chocolate ice cream cone. Stub my toe upon a big old stone. Now need I tell you that I dropped my chocolate ice cream cone. A little puppy came along and took a great big lick. And so I hit that mean old dog with just a little stick. Then he bit me where I sit down. And he chased me all over town. So now I'm lost, can't find my home, and all because of that chocolate ice cream cone, and all because of that chocolate, chocolate, chocolate ice cream cone. Price of Fear, brought to you by Vincent Price. Glancing through my morning paper over breakfast today, I noticed that an enterprising gentleman in the catering business has invented a musical hot dog called, would you believe, a Humburger. Isn't it amazing the things some people will eat? Food, by the way, is something of a hobby of mine, and I never cease to wonder at the incredible results that can be achieved by a good chef with a few basic ingredients, a little meat, a few vegetables, a glass of wine, sprig of parsley, and voila. You know, there are few more interesting experiences than being allowed into the kitchen of a really first-class restaurant to watch a master chef at work. And, of course, this uh, privilege is rarely extended to anyone, which reminds me of an experience I had a few years back. And to give it the right flavor, let's call it speciality of the house. I was staying in New York at the time, and a friend of mine, Harry Laffler, Knowing that I was interested in good food, invited me to dine with him one evening at his favorite restaurant. Harry was by way of being an international advertising man, and knowing the size of his expense account, I had imagined that I was in for an evening at one of New York's plushier night spots. 
Imagine my surprise, therefore, when I found myself being ushered towards a, a shabby brownstone building in an almost deserted downtown back street. Well, here we are. This is Bureau's. What do you think of it? Well, Harry, it's... I must say, it's not quite what I expected. It, it is rather dismal, isn't it? I'll have you know that Spiro's is the restaurant without pretensions. It is the one place in these ghastly neurotic times that has refused to compromise. When you enter Spiro's, you leave the insanity of this hour, of this day, of this year, and you find yourself for a brief span restored in spirit. You make it sound more like a, like a cathedral than a restaurant. I wonder... I wonder if I've done the right thing in bringing you here. Oh, come on now, Harry. I, I was only joking. You see, you are the one person I know with a knowledge of good food. Thank you. Knowing about Spiro's and not having an appreciative friend to share it with is like having a unique work of art locked in a room where no one else can see it. Anyway, let's not stand here talking. Let's go in. Good evening, sir. Mr. Laffler and a guest. Ah, yes, sir. Uh, please come this way, gentlemen. Uh, the waiter led us through a mirrored foyer into a small dining room. It was no size at all, but the half-dozen or so guttering gas jets which provided the only illumination threw such a deceptive light that the walls flickered and faded into uncertain distance. There were no more than eight or ten tables in the room, and all but one were occupied. The few waiters serving moved amongst them with quiet efficiency. It really was very pleasant. And as soon as we were seated at the vacant table, I said as much to Harry. There. I knew you'd like it. But wait till you taste the food. By the way, did you notice that there are no women present? Yes, I, I did. Isn't that rather odd? Spiro doesn't encourage them. Oh. And I can tell you his method of getting rid of them is very effective. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, do you wish to be served now? Uh, tell me, is the special being served tonight, waiter? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. There is no special this evening. But it's been a month already. And I had hoped that my friend here... I'm sorry, sir, but you do understand the difficulties, sir. Oh, well, what the hell. Uh, but I was hoping, Vincent, to introduce you to the greatest treat that Spiro offers. Oh, never mind. I'm quite sure that whatever we decide upon will be delicious. Uh, shall I serve at once, sir? Uh, yes, please. Very mm. good, sir. Well, Harry, have you ordered in advance? <laughs> no. No, I should have explained. Spiro offers no choice whatsoever. But suppose we don't like what we're given. Oh, don't worry. No matter how exacting your taste, you will relish every mouthful. Uh, just think a moment about the advantages of such a system. For instance, instead of a hurly-burly of sweating cooks trying to prepare a hundred different dishes, here we have a chef who stands serenely alone, bringing all his culinary arts to bear on one task. Oh, then you, you've seen Spiro's kitchen. Tell me, what's it like? Unfortunately, I can't. I've never seen it. Oh. Believe me, I've tried. In fact, I admit that my desire to see the inside of this particular kitchen has become almost an obsession with me. Well, have you ever mentioned this to Spiro? At least a dozen times. But he just shrugs his massive shoulders and smiles. Still, I've never given up hope. At this point, the waiter reappeared, bearing two soup bowls and a small tureen, from which he slowly ladled a measure of clear, thin soup. I must confess that I tasted this soup with some curiosity. It was delicately flavoured, bland to the verge of tastelessness, 
Automatically, I reached for the salt. Well, what do you think of the soup? Mm, excellent. If you'll pardon me for saying so, you don't. What? You do not find it excellent. <laughs> you find it flat and badly in need of salt. But how, did uh, how do I know? Yes. Because that was my reaction when I first dined here. But I'm confident that you will make the same discovery as I did. By the time you've finished your soup, your desire for salt will be non-existent. Well, Harry proved to be quite right. And before I had finished the soup, I was relishing every mouthful of it. It was really wonderful. Harry smiled at me across the table. Well, do you agree with me now? Mm. Wasn't I right? Yes, you certainly were. You will find that the absence of condiments is only one of several noteworthy characteristics which marks bureaus. I may as well prepare you for the rest. For example, no alcoholic beverages of any sort are served here. Oh, really, Harry? Also, there is a ban on the use of tobacco in any form. Oh, but good Lord, is this a restaurant or a temperance hotel? You don't understand. By alternating stimulant and narcotic, you seesaw the delicate balance of your taste so violently that it loses its most precious quality, the appreciation of fine food. Not another word was spoken until we had both finished our main course, nor was there any need for words in the presence of such food. It was delicious, and it was only with a great effort that I prevented myself from wolfing the lot at one go and establishing myself as a grade-A glutton on my very first visit to this amazing restaurant. When we had both finished eating... Harry and I smiled at each other contentedly. We were both aware that we had enjoyed an exceptional culinary experience. Harry, if I had any doubts about Spiro's, I apologize unreservedly. In all your praise of the place, there is not a single word of exaggeration. Ah, uh, that is only part of the story. You heard me mention the special, which mm. unfortunately was not on tonight's menu. Well... What we've just eaten is as nothing when compared to the absolute delights of that special. Oh, good Lord, what, what is it? I mean, nightingale's tongues, fillet of unicorn? Neither. It is lamb. Lamb? <laughs> oh, come on, you've got to be joking. If I were to give you, in my own unstinted words, my opinion of this dish, you would think me insane. <laughs> that is how deeply the mere thought of it affects me. It is a select portion of the rarest sheep in existence. Lamb Armistan. Armistan. A remote and almost unknown place on the border which separates Russia and Afghanistan. From chance remarks dropped by Sbiro, I gather that it's hardly more than a plateau which grazes the pitiful remnants of a flock of superb sheep. Sbiro, by some means or other, has obtained exclusive rights to this flock and is therefore the only restaurateur in the world ever to have lamb Armistan on his menu. I can tell you, the appearance of this dish is a very rare occurrence indeed, and nobody ever knows the exact date on which it will be served. Oh, but surely Spira could provide some advanced knowledge of this event. Well, huh? The only objection to that is simply stated. Should advanced information slip out, then the professional gluttons in which this city abounds, would get the opportunity to taste this dish and sooner or later drive out the regular patrons. You don't mean to say that these few people present are the only ones in the entire city who know of the existence of Spiro's? 
in the entire world. Oh, that's incredible. It's kept a secret by every single patron. A solemn obligation. By accepting my invitation this evening, you automatically assume that obligation. I hope you can be trusted with it. Well, if that's the way you want it, Harry, of course I can. It may sound strange to you indeed. It may board on eccentricity. But I'm a solitary man. And I feel to my depths that this restaurant is both family and friend to me. I must confess that until that moment, I I had never really thought much about Harry's private life. To me, he was a pleasant friend and dining companion, and his private affairs had never really concerned me. Now, hearing him refer to Spiros in this manner, I almost came to feel sorry for him. By the end of two weeks, Harry's invitations for me to join him at Spiros had become something of a, of a ritual. Now, I am by nature one of those people with a lean and hungry look, but I began to notice that I was rapidly putting on weight. I was, to tell the truth, becoming plump. I began to wonder whether Harry, by no means a lightweight, had also been lean before he started to dine at Spiro's. Thinking the whole thing over, I decided that I would not refuse to eat at the restaurant until I had both tasted the lamb Armistan and also been introduced to the amazing Mr. Spiro. And then one night, a few weeks later, I achieved both these ambitions, and both, I may say, exceeded my expectations. Ah, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Tonight is the special, sir. What? Well, this is it. <laughs> the culinary triumph of all times. And faced by it, you are embarrassed by the very emotion it distills. Yes, I must confess that my heart is certainly beating faster than usual. Tell me, Harry, the, the other diners, do they feel the same way? Well, of course they do. Look around you and judge for yourself. Yes, you're right. Anyway, there's comfort in numbers. It's nice to know that we all have the same basic animal feelings and can anticipate, or, or should I say... <laughs> slobber over our meat. <laughs> oh, look, one of our number appears to be in for disappointment. Hmm? Over there, at the end table, the empty seat. Oh, yes, the stout ball man. Hmm. He's not here tonight. I do believe it's the first dinner he's missed here in weeks. Rain or shine, crisis or calamity, I don't think he's missed an evening at Spiro's in ten years. Imagine his disappointment when he finds that he's missed the speciality of the house. <clears throat> Oh. Mr. Laffler and friend, I am so pleased, so very, very pleased. Ah, oh, Mrs. Mira. Uh, tonight, gentlemen, the Lamb Armistan will be an unqualified success. I myself have been stewing in the miserable kitchen all day, prodding the foolish chef to do everything just so. The just so is the important part, eh? Uh, but I see your friend does not know me. An introduction, perhaps. The words ran in a smooth, fluid eddy. They rippled, they purred, and I found myself hypnotized and could do no more than stare as Harry performed the introductions. Spiro's mouth, the mouth that uncoiled this sinuous monologue, was alarmingly wide, with thin, mobile lips that curled and twisted with every syllable. He had a wide nose and wide-set eyes. It was an amazing face, and... Somehow I had the feeling that I had seen it before. 
It was somehow familiar. I am so very pleased to meet you, Mr. Price. So very, very pleased. Oh, thank you. How do you do, Mr. Spiro? You uh, like my little establishment, eh? Oh, yes. You have a great treat in store for you today, I assure you. My friend is by way of being a great admirer of yours, Spiro. True. Very great compliment. You compliment me with your presence, and I return the compliment with my food, eh? <laughs> but I assure you, the lamb army stand is far superior to anything of your past experience. All the trouble obtaining it, all the difficulty of preparation is truly merited. You know, I've wondered why, with all these difficulties you mentioned, why you even bothered to present lamb armistan. Surely your other dishes are excellent enough to uphold your reputation. Yeah, perhaps it is a matter of psychology. Someone discovers a wonder and must share it with the others, eh? Mm. Or perhaps it is just a matter of good business. Well, then, in the light of all this and considering all the conventions you impose on your customers... Why don't you turn it into a private club? <laughs> so perspicacious. Ah, I will tell you. Because there is more privacy in a public eating place than in the most exclusive club in existence. Here, no one inquires into your affairs. No one desires to know the intimacies of your life. We are not curious about our guests. We welcome you when you are here. We have no regrets when you go. That is the answer, eh? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had no intention of prying. No, 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 you are not prying. On the contrary, I invite questions. Uh, don't let Spiro intimidate you. I've known him for years, and I assure you his bark is far worse than his bite. But before you know it, he'll be showing you all the privileges of the house, except inviting you into his precious kitchen, of course. <laughs> no, for that you may have to wait a little while, I'm afraid. What did I tell you? Come on now, Spiro. The truth. Has anyone except staff ever stepped into that kitchen of yours? You see on the wall over there the portrait of one to whom I did that honor. Hmm? A dear friend and a patron of long standing. Where? Oh, yes, there. Oh. Who is it? Oh, it's, it's Andrew Herring, the, the writer. You know the one, Harry. He used to write those marvelously cynical articles for the New American. And then he took himself off some to Mexico, I think it was, and, and disappeared. Of course. Here I've been sitting, staring at that picture for years without recognizing it. It must have been a blow for you when your old friend disappeared, Spira. It was, I assure you, gentlemen. But I like to think of it this way. He was probably greater in his death than in his life, eh? Hmm? Oh, a most tragic man. He often told me that his only happy hours were spent here at this table. Pathetic, is it not? And to think the only favor I could ever show him was to let him witness the mysteries of my humble kitchen. <laughs> you seem very certain of his death. I, after all, as I remember, no evidence has ever turned up to support it. None at all. Remarkable, eh? Ah, but no more talk, please, gentlemen, for here comes the speciality of the house. Lamb Armistan. <sighs> Spiro served the meal himself taking great care not to lose a single drop of gravy as he sliced the joint, underdone to perfection. He filled the two plates with the chunks of dripping meat. Ah, gentlemen, bon appétit. With great deliberation, I took a mouthful of the lamb armistan. It was magnificent. 
Good, eh? Mm. Better than you imagined? It is as impossible for the uninitiated to imagine the delights of Lan Amistan as... Uh, as for a mortal man to look into his own soul? Perhaps. Perhaps you have just had a glimpse into your own soul, eh? <laughs> yes, perhaps. And a gratifying picture it made, too. All fang and claw. Well, I must be going. But sometimes, my friend, when you have nothing better to do, sit perhaps for a little while in a dark room and think of this world and what it is and what it is going to be. Then you must turn your thoughts to the significance of the lamb in religion. It will be so interesting. And now, gentlemen, I have interrupted your meal for too long. Au revoir, gentlemen. Au revoir. Au revoir. He's an interesting man, Spear, a very interesting man. You know, Harry, he, he reminds me of someone I I just can't think who. You, you don't think I offended him in any way, do you? Offended him? No. Goodness, no. He loves that sort of talk. Lamb Amistam is a, a ritual with him. Get him started and he'll just go on forever. It was a month later that it finally came to me exactly who it was that Spiro reminded me of, and when it did, I, I laughed out loud. <laughs> of course, Spiro reminded me of the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. You remember, the cat only grinned when it saw Alice. It looked very good-natured, she thought. Still, it had very long claws and a great many teeth, so she felt that it ought to be treated with respect. <laughs> I, I mentioned this to Harry that night as we were walking along that dismal street that led to Spiro's. Uh, you may be right, but I'm not a fit judge. Anyway, it's a long time since I read Alice in Wonderland. Huh. A very long time. Help! What? Help! Look, look there. Outside Spiro's. Isn't that one of the waiters? Yes. Looks as though he's in trouble. He's being attacked. Come on. Help! Goddamn pickpocket. Push me, would you? Looking for a goddamn fighter. Oh. Well, you, oh. you got one, mister. Let me go. Let me go. Not yet, you lousy little creep. Well, what's going on here? Help me, sir. This man, he, he drunk. He tried to stab Oh, me. drunk, am I? Oh, well, we'll... we'll hey, you drink. Hey, grab him, Harry. Quick. Look out for that let, knife. Let, let, let go of him. Do you hear? Let go. Hey, what, what, what the hell's happening here? No. I'll cut your goddamn throat, oh. mister. No, you, you don't. Oh, is he, is he all right, do you think? That was some punch, Harry. Well, he, he, I think he's stunned. He banged his head as he fell. Yeah, well, in any case, it's a job for the police. No, no, sir. What? No police. Mr. Spiro does not like police. Oh, now, wait. I beg you, no police. Uh, uh, anyway, he's coming around. Oh, he'll be all right. But what started all this anyway? I, I, I push against him accidentally, and he accused me of robbing him. He's, he's drunk, sir. Oh, you can say that again. Well, now, you go inside and get cleaned up. We'll see to him. Thank you, sir. To you, I owe my life. If there is anything I can do to repay you. Oh, you just cut along, and if Mrs. Vera has any questions, you tell him to see me. Yes, sir. You saved my life. Thank you, sir. And with that, the waiter disappeared into the restaurant. Well, after all the excitement and kerfuffle of that incident, I must confess that I found I had quite...
quite an appetite. And as soon as we were comfortably seated in the restaurant, Harry and I debated with some trepidation as to whether or not we could expect the special lamb armistan that evening. Soon our regular waiter appeared and carefully set two tumblers on the table. We almost simultaneously inquired after the special. Uh, no, sir. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. No special tonight. Oh, hell, just my luck. And I'll probably miss out on it next time, too. Why, Harry? You going away? Yes, damn it. I'm off to South America for a month or two in order to mount a new campaign for some very rich clients. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. When do you leave? Tonight. I managed to wangle some reservations. This was intended to be in the nature of a farewell celebration. Oh, and no <laughs> special. What a shame. <laughs> Just my luck. Uh, well, I I'm going to miss you, Harry. I have enjoyed our evenings together, and these little dinners of ours have well, they've come to mean a great deal to me. Uh, shall I serve now, sir? Uh, of course. I didn't realize you were waiting. Shortly afterwards, the waiter served us, and we turned our attention to our dinner. Harry finished his quickly and continued to bemoan his fate and to regret loudly the thought of missing Lamb Armistand during his trip. Then, just as I finished my meal, a waiter leaned over to take Harry's plate. It wasn't our usual waiter, but the man who we had rescued from the drunken sailor. I asked him how he was feeling, but to my surprise, he completely ignored me, and with the air of a man under great strain, he whispered to Harry... My life. I owe it to you. I can't repay you. Well, you have repaid me with your thanks. Please, let's hear no more about it. But I will help you, sir, even if you don't want me to. Do not go into the kitchen tonight. Huh? My life for yours, sir. Tonight or any night. Do not go into Spiro's kitchen. Why shouldn't I go into the kitchen? <laughs> don't be absurd. What's going on here? Is everything all right, gentlemen? Ah, oh, good evening, Spiro. Uh, this man is a little unnerved, I think. Ah, yes. An unfortunate experience. He's saying something about my not visiting your kitchen. What's it all about? Do you know what he means? But of course. He was giving you good advice. It so happens that my too emotional chef heard some rumor that I might have a guest in the kitchen tonight. He flew into a fearful rage and even threatened to give his notice on the spot. Hmm? However, have no fear. I have succeeded in showing him what a signal honor it is to have a true connoisseur observe him at his work firsthand. That is all. No, Sancho, you are at the wrong table. See that it does not happen again. The waiter slunk away without daring to raise his eyes, and Spiro drew up a chair to the table. He seated himself and drew his hand lightly over his hair. My invitation for you to visit my humble kitchen, I, I had hoped, Mr. Laffler, to be a surprise, but now the surprise is gone and all that is left is the invitation. Are you serious? Do you mean that at last we really are to witness the preparation of food in your kitchen tonight? Uh, uh, no, Mr. Laffler, not both. I am faced with a dilemma of great proportions, gentlemen. You, Mr. Laffler, have been my guest for ten years, but... Our friend here. Oh, Mr. Spiro, I, I, I really understand perfectly. I, I mean, this invitation is solely to Harry here, and naturally my presence is embarrassing. Oh. Well, look, no, wait a minute. As it happens, I, I do have another engagement for later, and I must be on my way anyhow. So, you see, there's no dilemma at all, really. Absolutely not. That wouldn't be fair at oh, all. No. Surely, Spiro, you can make an exception on this one occasion. I'm very sorry, Harry. Spiro. 
I am not going to sit here and spoil your great adventure. Believe me. And, and then just think of that ferocious chef. <laughs> I'm sure he's just dying to get his cleaver into you. <laughs> <laughs> so humorous. So I'll just say goodbye now and leave you to Spiro. I'm sure he'll take pains to give you a good show. Well, that's good, you, Vincent. Thanks. I hope you continue to dine here while I'm away. Oh, and have a, have a good trip, Harry. Thank you. Bye now. I will expect you, Mr. Price. Au revoir. Au revoir. And so I left them to it, the smiling Spiro and Harry Laffler, about to realize his greatest ambition. On the way out, I stopped in the foyer to collect my coat, and as I was straightening my tie, I caught a glimpse in the mirror of Harry and Spiro already at the kitchen door. Spiro was holding it open, invitingly wide with one hand, while the other hand rested lightly on Harry's plump, meaty shoulder, squeezing it ever so gently, almost lovingly, rather in the way a housewife squeezes a prime fat turkey before she puts it into the oven. I've never seen or heard of Harry Laffler again. Shortly afterwards, I left New York in order to do some filming in England. I've not been back since, and therefore I have never had the opportunity of dining again at Spiro's, nor of renewing my acquaintance with its mysterious owner. In the intervening years, however, my interest in food and its preparation has increased, and I, I can now create and experiment with recipes of my own. But I must confess that even in my wildest flights of culinary fancy, I... I have never yet dared to attempt lamb amistad. And so ends yet another podcast. Uncle Frank, what's the one last thing? Keeping with our theme of ice cream, we're going out with the band Ice Cream with their song, Chewing Gum Kid. So, this is Jimmy Sweets. And this is Uncle Frank. See you next month. Chewing gum, baby, and when we kiss, it gets in the way. You chew, 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 chew that chewing gum, baby. I wish you'd throw that chewing gum away. Hey, 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 you're the chewing gum kid. I'm stuck on you, the chewing gum kid. I'm stuck on you, the chewing gum I'm stuck on you, chewing your kid. I'm stuck on you.